In light of the message of Karen's song, your homework for tonight is this. I think it's still clear outside. So take a blanket, lay it on the ground, get another blanket, put it on top of you, lay down and look at the stars, and I want you to start to name them. (coughs) When you get to 1,000, I want you to go back and give all the names of the ones you just named. You say, Pastor, I can't do that, but God can. You think about there's multiple millions of stars. Calls them by name. And God is not like us. We change. We might be up one day and down the next day, but God's steady. He's even. His character remains the same. In light of our discussion on you can't live the Christian life in Christ, freedom in Christ, a couple of questions looking for a response. What, why does the Christian community talk so much about what Christians must do to be a good believer and to grow? And the reason I pose that question, I read books, Christian books, and you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do the next thing. And the other day I had a program on on the radio. I don't listen to the radio a lot. I usually pray and meditate when I drive, but I had the radio on the car for a little bit, and uh, the speaker was wrapping up his discussion, and he mentioned some things that you have to do. And uh, not that he was wrong, you know. I'm just asking, why does the Christian community talk so much about what Christians must do to be a good believer and to grow? You ever think about that? Any response? I'm not saying it's totally wrong. I'm just asking why we might do that. Okay, we can't see the heart, so we can see what someone does. So we would tend to emphasize that. Anyone else? What does a human nature like to do? Do. Now, we like to be measured. You know, we measure ourselves by, I did this, I did that, I did the next thing. You will find that religions of the world emphasize do. You know, there's various reasons, and I think also might be involved is that Satan is a doer and not a rester, if that's a word. (laughs) Satan is a doer, not one who rests. Satan doesn't sit back and say, well, I got the world in control. Everything's under my care. No, he's always out there trying to get someone to do. And again, I'm not saying it's wrong to do in the Christian life, but sometimes maybe we emphasize it too much. Another question. What does or what makes living in Christ different from Christianity in our country? And I'm making a distinction between Christianity and living in Christ. And I'm making that distinction for a definite reason. <clears throat> living in Christ versus Christianity in our country. Okay. 
Any other response? Okay. Christ is involved in, if it's genuine Christianity. Okay. Any other response? Living in Christ is second nature. Christianity is something a lot of people put on. Okay. May I change one thing about what you said? <laughs> Maybe we ought to say first nature rather than second nature, but I know where you're coming from, you know, okay? Any other response? We're not saved by works. We're not saved by works, but all unbelievers will know us by our works. But hopefully those works come from a sensitivity to Christ, you know, living in Christ. It's not a have to, it's a response to God's grace. Any other response? A lot of times in Christianity, it's going to church Okay, the whole idea of relationship versus you no know, coming to church and so on. Okay, we'll look at, we're looking at some resources tonight, looking at a couple names of God. We won't get over all six of them. And keep in mind, we can't live the Christian life in and of ourselves. Our life is in Christ. And in the Old Testament, God revealed much about himself through the names of God. So, in the I can't category, using the name Lord or Adonai, which means ownership or master. We're going to turn to Genesis chapter 15. And the idea behind Adonai or Lord is that he's the owner, he's the master, God is my master. I belong to him. And in Genesis 15, we find that the Lord speaks to Abraham, and then Abraham responds. And keep in mind that Genesis 15, and I'm not making a profound statement here, follows Genesis 12, where the Lord called Abraham from early Chaldeans. He made a promise, I will make you into a great nation. I'll make your name great. I will bless those who bless you, and so on. And in Genesis 13, Lot and Abraham separated. And in Genesis 14, Abram or Abraham rescued Lot. Then we get to Genesis 15, verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, and the Lord there is referring to master. He's saying, O sovereign master. What can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham said, 
You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord or sovereign master, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? And then you can read on in the chapter and you find that the Lord makes a covenant, an unconditional covenant with Abram and that there's two altars built. Abram is in a deep sleep and going between the altars is the Lord himself. And that's signifying that the Lord is making a covenant with Abram and is dependent only upon Abram. Now, it's in this context that Abram says in verse 2, O sovereign Lord, O sovereign master, and he brings up the issue of being childless. His master responds to him and says, you will have descendants like the stars of the sky. And then he brings up the issue of the land. And Abram again says, O sovereign master, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? He's talking to the Lord and he says, O sovereign Lord, O sovereign master, I belong to you. Genesis chapter 12. You're my master. And as, you're, or as my master, you tell me not to be afraid. You tell me you're my shield. You're my great reward. But yet I remain childless master. The master, Lord, the Lord responds. And then he says, or the Lord says, well, I give you the land. And again, Abram responds and says, O sovereign master. He's talking to the Lord, master. Sovereign, he recognizes him for who he is and calls him master. I belong to him. I don't know if you ever talked to the Lord like that or not. He said, O sovereign master. I don't understand what's happening in my life. You say we're not supposed to... uh, Talk to God like that. What's Abram doing here? Oh, sovereign master, what can you give me since I remain childless? You've given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. You ever go to the Lord in the midst of a problem and you've already asked him for wisdom and he hasn't responded yet. And you said, oh, sovereign master, I ask you for wisdom. You haven't given it yet. What's going on here? Basically what Abraham is doing. The I can, when people think they can live the Christian life, then they have the mindset, I am in control of life, I'm in control of decisions, I'm in control of plans, and what's best for me? You ever think about how often you like to control life? You're going to make that little kid obey, and you're going to make sure they toe the line when they're 18. You're going to control it. 
You have a financial difficulty. You're going to control it. I'm going to live a good Christian life. I'm going to do enough that people consider me a good Christian. You know, just more or less, I'll do what I have to do. I'm in control. We humans like to be in control. You know, in a lot of life, we recognize that we have a master. And applied to freedom in Christ, I am free when I seek what my master desires, his will, his plans. I'll give you an example from my own life. Last Sunday afternoon, I just felt strongly impressed to give Ray Druckenmiller a call. I gave him a call and, you know, I called the house number. He didn't answer. So Monday morning, about 7, Ray called back and I already was out of the house. And Ruth Ann called me and said, Ray called. So I called Ray back and uh, we talked a little and I said, I just wanted you to know that I'm praying for you. And then he just unloaded some very heavy stuff in his heart. Earlier that morning, I said, okay, Lord, today is yours. I want to be sensitive to you today. Well, Sunday morning, I would have done that. Ended up calling Ray. I think I was submitting to the master, my sovereign master. And then Monday morning, you know, when I ended up getting a hold of him, again, I think I was able to encourage him. Ruth Ann was able to interact with Sherry briefly. What is my point? I think that's a God thing. You're on the job. And you run into something and you say, oh, sovereign master, maybe you don't word it that way. You just cry out, God, help me or give me wisdom or whatever. You ever consider that God cares about that? So Cheryl's furnace isn't working this morning. And she says, oh, sovereign master, what's going on here? We have the freedom to do that. What's your will in this circumstance? How should I respond? In the routine, the nitty-gritty of life. It's not limited to, quote-unquote, the spiritual area of life. You ever consider that all life is spiritual? (laughs) This may sound crazy, and I don't always do this. Sometimes I get in a hurry. You know, I'm trying to control my life. And I've gone to the hospital already, and I've said, especially at Geisinger, before they had the clergy parking spots, I said, Lord, you know, I really don't feel like walking very far today. I'm tired, and, you know, it'd be nice if a parking spot came up close. I said, I'm not demanding it. It would just be nice, but... And Ruth Ann says, I must have an end with God. She says, you always find a spot close by. (laughs) I'm not saying I do or not, but my point is, I have the freedom to talk to him about that. In day-by-day living, I can't in and of myself. 
So God, I'll talk to you about anything that is in my life. I have no ability to make good, godly, or God's glory decisions. I need help, Lord. I need God's instruction to be a good citizen, student, driver. Be a good citizen. Ruth Ann listened to some things that were present on Fox. She heard it, you know, via the Internet about our president relating to Cuba and so on. And Ruth Ann said to me, what do you make of this? She said, listen to this little clip. And uh, I had to, in my mind, think, okay, God, you're sovereign (laughs) in our country. We have freedom to talk to him about things like that. See, life's not about us. Our master, we're slaves. He's our master. He knows best. And even when our world seems to fall apart, we can trust him. Think about Job. Messenger came. Lost his animals. The sheep. Was it the cattle or second messenger? I'm not sure which order, but then another messenger came and said, you lost your ten children. You know, when it rains, it pours. His wife said, you know, why don't you curse God and die? And Job said, no. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. What's he saying? My world's falling apart, but God's my master. And lo and behold, then he lost his physical health. And his friends came to him and tried tried to tell him what he was doing wrong. You know, you sinned in some way. There's got to be something going on here. And Job maintained his integrity. God's master. Even when our world falls apart, he remains master. I can't, but I can in Christ. Comments before we go on. Another name of God. Lord or Jehovah, the independent, absolutely self-existing, continuous God, I am. He has no beginning. He has no end. Let's go to Exodus chapter 3. God progressively reveals himself in the Old Testament, progressively reveals himself to Israel. And keep in mind that God had revealed himself to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Jacob is the one who went down to Egypt with his family because Joseph was ruler in the land, you know, had been invited down, second in command, I should say, been invited down by Joseph. So Jacob went, and we know that Israel ended up being in Egypt, and they were in slavery some 400 years. And it seems like God is kind of silent. Israel cried out because of their slavery But yet God is on the scene because remember, Abraham was told by the Lord, his master, that your descendants are going to go into another country and they'll go through hardship for some 400 years. 
Moses comes along, and we know that Moses was put into the river by his mother. And I think it's interesting, and I'm of the conviction, that Moses was placed in the river by his mother at a spot where she knew Pharaoh's daughter would come to bathe. She just didn't pick out any spot. So Moses is placed in the river among the reeds there, and we know that Pharaoh's daughter comes, sees the baby, and we know that Moses' mother was able to take care of him for a period of time, and then Moses became the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And we know that Moses was trained in all the wisdom and understanding of Egypt. Moses was a very, very good speaker. Later on, he says he's not. That was after 40 years of keeping sheep. Moses would have been well-educated. You know, top of the line, having status. Notice how he responds in Exodus 3. Now, Moses was tending the flocks, flock of Jethro. This is uh, probably about 40 years you know, after he started caring for sheep. That is, the sheep or the flock of Jethro's father-in-law, the priest of the Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush, that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over, To look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I'm the Lord, God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then in verses 7 through 10, God instructs Moses to go to Egypt. And God is going to use him to deliver from Egypt. Let's pick up with verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Now notice the Lord's response or God's response. And God said in verse 12, I will be with you. God didn't say, Moses, you're a great guy. You can handle this. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites, I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. 
So Moses says, who am I? And the Lord says, or God says, I will be with you. Then Moses says, the Israelites want to know who sent me. And the Lord says, I am who I am. That's what you're to say. And we know Moses returns, he assembles, and there's all kinds of issues. Now then we have the ten plagues. And we won't go through the signs for Moses in chapter 4, but Moses gave four reasons why he could not lead. And God responded each time with saying, look, Moses, I'll take care of it. You can't, but I can. Finally, Moses says, God, I don't want to go. And the Lord's anger burned at him. And he said, I will give you Aaron, your brother. He will speak for you. But each time we find the Lord is responding. Moses says, I can't. And the Lord says, here's how I will respond to that. And finally, Moses says, I don't want to go. And the Lord says, well, you're going. I know you can't, but I can. And I'm going to use you. And I'm going to use your brother Aaron. He can speak well, and he is on his way to meet you. You'll find the same is true in Isaiah 43. In Psalm 23, when it says, the Lord is my shepherd, it's I am. Jehovah. When you think of I am, when does I am begin? When does I am begin? Always was. He was I am back in the day of Moses. He's I am in the present, and he's I am in the future, and a hundred trillion years from now, he's still I am. Stick that in your mind. And just mow it over. I am that I am. He's talking to Moses, a shepherd. And it's interesting how many people were shepherds that the Lord used. He called Abraham as a shepherd, <coughs> Isaac, Jacob, Moses. I can. We're tempted to live this way. Lord, bless my plans. I must try harder. Focus on do in Christianity. Lord, here's my plans. Now bless them. Lord, I got to try a little harder to please you. Well, there's a lot of do in this Christianity. Applied to freedom in Christ. I'm totally and completely dependent in every area of life. I'm totally and completely dependent in every area of my life. You get up tomorrow morning, I'm totally and completely dependent in every area of my life. Well, I'm going to get breakfast. But you're dependent in getting breakfast. 
You say, no, I'm not. I can do it. Hmm. Ask God to turn off the oxygen for an hour. Ask God to step away from keeping your heart beating. Ask God to say, okay, God, I'm having this I can mentality. Just take care of my eyesight. Let me not have it for about two hours. We're dependent. And if we recognize that the Lord, I am that I am, is totally independent and self-existing, Christ is independent and self-existing, and Christ is our life. So I need others, family, fellow believers. Obviously, we're in need of God. So you hear much about codependency. We shouldn't be codependent. Ever consider that God would favor codependency? (laughs) If you want to use that terminology, we're to be dependent on our mate. We're to be dependent on our children or as we get older or our children dependent upon us. We're to be dependent on other believers. Or someone in our family, my side of the family, said about Ruth Ann and I one time, uh, doing some talking about family dynamics the analysis of Ruth Ann and I was that we're codependent on each other. You know, I depend on her and she depends on me. And uh, we just kind of grinned about it when it was said. And later on we said, I think that's a good thing. <laughs> I think God, God kind of designed it that way, didn't he? You know that as in the marriage relationship, there's to be a dependency on each other. In the body of Christ, the same is true. And in day-by-day living, I'm not an island. Since the Lord is my life, I can trust him. So your job is not panning out quite quite like you want. Lord, your I am that I am. You've allowed this to happen. And I can rest in you. Your job may be going very good. Lord, your I am that I am. I want to remember I'm dependent. Thank you. If it's bad, thank you if it's good. But still, I'm dependent. This morning we sang several verses of the 90 and 9. Travis will share the history of that song next Sunday morning and we'll sing all five verses and just take a brief time to pray in light of the history of the song, how it came to be written. Did you ever think about how many wondering, you want to use the term sheep, many wandering children and grandchildren wandering away from God are present in our church. When I say present, people in our church have children and grandchildren that are wandering. That can eat away at us. Lord, 
I can't handle this. And the Lord says, I know you can't. can't. But I'm Lord. I am that I am. Will you trust me? Will you just be faithful? Don't demand that something happen. Don't try to control something. I will lead you in how you should respond. But I'm sufficient for joy, for contentment, even when that is true. But flip this coin over and look at the other side. Some people would say, look at this child or my kids. They're really doing well. I must have done a good job at training them. Maybe you better step back and say, Lord, I know you're I am that I am. I attempted to be faithful. My children or some of my children are responsive, but I still want to be dependent upon you, find my joy, my satisfaction in you, not in my child. Again, just I am that I am. We humans struggle with acknowledging the Lord, being that I am, that I am. We know when Moses returned to Egypt and he spoke to the people, they had a hard time because their situation got worse before it got better. They used to be given the straw to make the bricks. Now the straw is taken away. You go find the straw, but we want the same amount of bricks. And they moaned and groaned to Moses, and Moses went to the Lord. I am that I am, Moses. I am that I am, Israel. But God, I am that I am. I just, I can't handle this, but I'll still trust you. Questions or comments before we wrap it up? or as we wrap it up. Okay, Jared, can you take me to the challenge? Notice I didn't say reality. (laughs) I'll never live that one down, will I? Now that I have that reminder. So, question. What is present and evident in the saint in Christ that is not present and evident in believers who live so-called good Christian lives. What is present and evident in the saint in Christ that is not present and evident in believers who live so-called good lives? And I'm making a distinction here. What is present? And I'm not looking for a single answer, you know. There's a variety of answers that could be given. Okay, deep dependency. Maybe we could put after that word humility. No, deep dependency. Okay. Anyone else? Travis. Okay, your question again? Is it the same Christ and the believer one of the same whether they recognize it I'm making a distinction for sake of discussion. But a believer is a saint in Christ, but I say believers who live so called good Christian lives, you know. I'm 
No, look at what I'm doing or I'm trying. So, Good point, though. Okay. They would recognize they're complete in Christ, okay? In a growing way, not that they have arrived at, okay? Pardon? Trust. Trust is a big word when you think about it. Moses is going back to talk to Pharaoh, and he had killed an Egyptian <laughs> 40 years earlier. You know, he had to trust God. Why do you think he argued so much with the Lord, Travis? Got to be a thing, a spirit thing at work in us. Okay. Any other response? Okay, we'll wrap it up with that. Father, we love you, want to be faithful to you. And as we discuss the fact that in and of ourselves we can't, may we just grow in understanding who you are, revealed in your names, grow an understanding of our, or what we have in Christ. Develop a growing humility, a dependency, a trust in you. And then what you produce from that is because of Christ at work in us. And Father, I think we would all admit that we struggle at times we blow it, but yet you remain faithful. We thank you for that. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.